I am excited to start a three-week sermon series today on This is Love. I'm excited about it because I think all of us crave and need love in our lives. And we're going to look at three important things that God's love does for us. And today, we're going to specifically look at the fact that love, God's love, loves us in, in a way that forgives our sins. Because of Easter and the resurrection, we clearly understand the cross. You know, at the cross... Jesus died in our place for our sins. He entered into our pain and our shame. And he took the weight of evil itself so he could break its power over us. Because Jesus didn't stay in the grave, but he rose from the dead, we see his incredible love to forgive our sins. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we can actually see God's love in action. We can see what Jesus did and say this. This is love. Sin can be a hard word to understand sometimes. It's not a popular word. We like to use words like mistake or uh, accident or things like that to describe uh, what sin is. But it's uh, kind of a confusing word at times, and and people have a lot of different thoughts about what sin is. We're going to talk about what it is here in just a moment. But first, let me share with you a story. I, I used to work in an ink company and I was a, a color matcher. So we would match colors for uh, companies to match their, their advertising and things like that. And we used to match those colors with a little hundred grams and a little tin. And I was training a new guy one day and I went to a lunch, came back and man, the whole lab was just a mess. I'm like, what in the world happened? You know, what exploded while I was gone? He goes, well, I, I dropped one of those things and it spilled ink all over the floor. And then I tried to clean it up. I'm like, oh, no. I said, I wish you would have just waited. But he tried to clean up. So he got some. Now, I don't know if you've ever dropped like an ink cartridge or something like that on your floor or on your carpet. And then what's your first instinct to do? Well, let's get a towel, right? Let's wipe it up. And it just smears it all around. It just makes it worse. And the more liquid you add to it, the worse it gets. So then he went and he got the mop, tried to mop it up. Well, he ruined the mop and it just spread it out a little bit farther. Anyway, it was a total and complete mess, all for 100 grams of ink. Now, I share that with you because I, I, I want you to understand that it's really hard for us sometimes to ask for help, isn't it? But it's harder still to ask for help when things are a mess because of our own doing, right? Sometimes things happen because they just happen, but sometimes things happen because we've done them. But isn't that just how we are? We don't want to ask God for help either, do we? We want to try to fix things on our own. We want to try to figure out how to make them better. Then when we try to clean things up and the mess just gets bigger and bigger, we resist even more asking for help because we're embarrassed. We're ashamed. If we ask for help with the mess we've made, it it means admitting fault. We don't like to admit guilt or fault, do we? We'd rather deny it or ignore it. We'd rather give an excuse or justify it somehow. But admitting it is painful is hard. And yet, it won't go away. The feeling that we've somehow fallen short and we've failed, it just eats away at us. Now, our current culture teaches us to give an excuse. Well, this mess exists uh, because of my parents. Or, Or this mess exists in my life because of my community. Or my poor education or a number of other things. Again, we'd rather deny it or ignore it, justify it, make some excuse, rather than just admit 
we just didn't live up to the standard. That's hard. We aren't able to do everything right, and we have this feeling like we are constantly falling short. That's what sin is. Sin is the missing of a mark. It's falling short. It's the not living up to our design. Now, we were created by God to be God's image bearers, to reflect God's love and his wisdom in the world. But sin is rebellion to do our own thing. It's to be independent of God rather than dependent on God. It's to violate his standards. It's resistance. And it's at uh, the very core of our failure to live up to the standard that God has made. Uh, I know that some of you were a little uh, afraid for Josh, the bass player over here, when you saw that target, but nobody's targeting him. I want you to know that. But I, I do this as an object lesson because here's what we do. We say, okay, there's what God wants me to be. And we just fall short. We say, well, I'm going to try harder this time. Well, maybe if I do it differently, and yet every time we try, it's always falling short. Today we're going to look at a guy who has an epic, epic falling short. In fact, his falling short was so spectacular, it probably should have ended his life altogether. His name is Peter. And he's one of Jesus' closest friends. When Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he was about to endure, or what he was about to endure on the cross, this is how Peter responded. In Luke chapter 22, verses 33 and 34, this is what he says. Peter says to him, Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, Peter, he, he reassured Jesus that he would go all the way with him. Uh, Lord, I will, I'll be arrested for you. I will go to death for you. He'll be at his side the whole way, but Jesus responded by telling him that he would have an epic failure. After what Peter said, it's, Hard to imagine that he believed in his own mind what Jesus said could possibly happen. But let's look at what did happen after Jesus was arrested. Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I did not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour still, another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, 
you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. <laughs> wow. Talk about missing the mark. Talk about falling short. Peter did exactly what Jesus said that he would do and exactly what he said he would not do. He not only didn't go all the way defending Jesus with his life, but he denied even knowing him. And not just once, but three times in a row. We look at that and we think, man, was Peter just dumb in the head? What is wrong with this guy, right? But let's be honest. Peter's not that unlike us. We all deny Jesus sometimes, either in our words or in our actions, in our decisions to do our own thing rather than what we know he wants us to do. In fact, Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's, this is Romans 3.23 right here. All of us, all of us fall short of what God has intended for us. You see, we all fall short. We all miss the mark. And we are all in this epic failure together. Now, most of the time, I don't know about you, but uh, when I do something kind of uh, knuckleheaded, uh, if there's a whole bunch of people doing it with me, I feel better about myself. But not this time. Not this time. The fact that we all miss the mark together doesn't make me feel any better. It still means that we're all separated from God. We're all falling short of what God has intended for us. And the reason that's so painful is because sin always, always brings guilt. Because deep down, we know that we fall short. All of those excuses, all of that explaining and justifying, it doesn't change the fact that we know in our heart that we have failed to live up to God's standard and who he created us to be. Now, if you're here right now and you're thinking, wow, not me. I'm living up to the mark of God's perfection just fine. I don't know what's wrong with you, Michael, and why these other people are agreeing with you. Listen, if you think that right now, ask your spouse or your kids or your parents if that's true, and you might find a different perspective. Folks, when we don't want to face the reality of who we are, we generally just go back to our lives as if nothing is wrong. Even Peter went back to his old life doing what he had always done. Look, after he, he uh, uh, you know, just denies Jesus, denies knowing him, does it three times, look what he does in John 21, 3. Simon Peter said to them, the disciples, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now that may seem like a very non-consequential verse, may not seem to be anything interesting there, but I do think there's something interesting. Peter didn't invite the other disciples to go with him. They invited themselves. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Well, perhaps Peter in his shame wanted to be alone. He said, listen, I'm just, I'm just gonna go back and do what I've always done. I'm gonna go fish. See, that's what guilt does. It causes us to isolate ourselves it causes us to isolate ourselves from God and from the people that we love the most. But Peter's friends, they stuck with him even after his epic failure. 
Peter felt separated from Jesus and ashamed of what he had done. I can't imagine uh, while he's denying him the third time, it's coming out of his mouth and the rooster crows and Jesus looks right at him. I can't imagine what Peter felt in that moment. But it's the same for us, folks. Look at the first part of Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. What that means is the payment we get for falling short, the payment we get for not hitting the mark is separation, death, separation from God, separation from others that we love. Our falling short isolates us and we somehow gravitate towards that isolation. Things seem pretty hopeless, but on the third day, of course, we know that Jesus rose from the grave. I mean, that's what Easter is all about. Jesus lived a perfect life and never fell short because he was God in the flesh. Where we always fall short and miss the mark, Jesus got a bullseye. Now, wouldn't that be really impressive? <laughs> wouldn't that be really impressive if I could throw this and hit that bullseye? By the way, I tried that about 50 times this morning and never got close. In fact, I think in the first one, I hit it so hard that I broke it. But let's pretend that I threw that, all right? <laughs> Jesus hits the target perfectly. I know, it won't, I know it's not in the red part, everybody. Quit looking at it. It's because I broke it, okay? But Jesus hits the target perfectly, perfectly, because he's the one that created it. They were his standards. Now, when Peter heard that Jesus was alive, I'm sure he was a little torn, right? I mean, I would be. First glad and hopeful that his friend Jesus was alive? Oh, but wait. Now, knowing he might have to face him after this epic failure probably caused him a lot of anxiety. It would me. It caused me a lot of anxiety. Think about how you feel when you know you've been caught and there's going to be no denying, no justifying, no excuses, just our, our failures out there for everyone to see and the stress of facing the very people that we have let down. I know if I were Peter, I'd be going out of my mind. But we see a different thing here. Look what happens when, when Peter is in this state of, of perhaps uh, uh, knowing and excited about Jesus being alive and yet troubled to face him, we see that Jesus comes after us right where we are. Look at John chapter 21, verses four through eight. They're out fishing, and look what happens. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So we see that that when this happens, when they see Jesus, 
Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to him. Listen, Jesus knew where to find him. By the way, this is right where he had met him. Fishing. But this time, instead of running from Jesus, he ran to Jesus, or swam to Jesus. Listen, it's important to see this. Jesus initiated the contact. Jesus was looking to make things right with Peter. He always does. But Peter had to respond. He could have thrown himself into the sea and drowned himself so that he didn't have to face Jesus. I would have probably been tempted to do that. But in humility, he decided to face Jesus, face his past, face his epic failure, and face the possibility of receiving forgiveness. Remember what Peter did? And look at the conversation that he has with Jesus now when he gets to shore. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now there's a whole series of sermons in this passage, I'm sure. But do you see Jesus asking him three times if he loved him? Jesus is exercising his forgiveness in this wonderful example for Peter so he could understand what was happening. Peter had denied him three times, one right after the other. So Jesus comes back and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Three times. He wants Peter to see and understand that he's offering him forgiveness. Folks, everything was different after the resurrection. It's different for all of us. When we retreat in shame, Jesus will chase us down in ways we don't expect, perhaps even by getting us to church on Easter. You see, if we haven't already given our, our, our life to Jesus, if we haven't already put our faith and trust in him to save us from our sins, he is chasing us. He is wanting to have a relationship with us and for us to experience forgiveness and freedom from our guilt that previously has isolated and crippled us. You see, Jesus chases us because he knows that we can receive forgiveness of our sins and freedom from our guilt because of the resurrection. This is indeed the Easter message, folks. Look what the Bible says in 1 John 1, and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, some people misread this and think that it's saying if we confess every single individual sin, but that's not what it's saying. It's saying if we confess that we are sinners, if we confess our sins, if we confess that we are constantly falling short, that we are missing the mark of what God created us to be, if we will admit that and confess to him, knowing he's the only one that can forgive us, he'll be faithful to forgive us from our sins 
and take away all of our unrighteousness, all of our falling short. Jesus has chased you to this place and he's asking you to get out of the boat. Face him in humility and ask for his forgiveness. Realize that by defeating death and the grave, Jesus and Jesus alone has the power to forgive sins if we will just trust him and put our faith in him. Because when we do, here's what happens. This is one of my very favorite verses in the entire Bible. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a lot of he's and him's in there. Let me help you with that a little bit. What it's saying is, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. What it's saying is that there's this great exchange that takes place. You see, no matter how hard we try, we're never going to reach the target. We are never going to be able to live up to God's standards. And we're in trouble. Jesus, however, lived a perfect life. And what this verse is saying is, God is offering us an exchange program. He is offering for Jesus to take the penalty of our not measuring up and pay the penalty for not measuring up by giving his life on the cross. And he's offering us the opportunity to be seen as righteous before God, to get credit for what Jesus did. There's not a list of do's that you have to jump through, a list of hoops you have to jump through. All you have to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Believing that he rose from the dead. Folks, if he had, listen, if he had not risen from the dead, you wouldn't even know his name. I'll bet you can't name five false prophets from Jesus' day. And if you're a seminary student in here, you might be the only one, okay? We don't know false prophets because they just go. They just get forgotten. The reason that you know the name of Jesus, the reason that part of the world celebrates Christmas and part of the world celebrates Easter, it's not because he just died for a political cause. That's not true. It's not the gospel. Fact is, he died, and then he did the only thing that the Son of God could do, which was rise again, and no one else can do. He wants to forgive our sins today. He wants to make you different. He wants to take away the guilt and the shame of constantly not measuring up, and he wants to take it on the cross when Jesus gave his life for us. He's been chasing you. Don't make him keep running after you. Don't make him keep running after you. Don't keep falling short with no hope. Listen, if you're here today and you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are already, as we call it, born again, uh, born into God's family. Man, I, I sing those songs And we just sang the word shame about 10 times. And I think about the things that I have done to displease God, the things that I have done to fall short. And honestly, I should have dropped a dart right here. 
And then I realize what God has done for me by giving his son to die for me and then giving me an opportunity to exchange places. Wow, it just moves me. It, it just, it does something to my soul. If you're here and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus today, embrace that in a new and deeper way today. Let him really transform your heart and your mind and your life. But if you're here and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus yet, God is still chasing you. In fact, he's chased you right here today to this place so you could hear that. And all you have to do to receive his forgiveness is to pray a simple prayer. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't fix things myself. I can't clean up my mess because I'm not perfect. And I'll never hit the mark that you have expected of me. And so I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to forgive my sins. I turn from them and I give my life to you. I put my faith and my trust in you and you alone to save me. And that exchange happens immediately, folks. The Bible says in that moment you turn from darkness to life, from death to life. And you can do that today. Don't leave here without doing that. And then after you do, let us know that. There's a card in the seat back in front of you. You can give that to somebody at the Connection Center or on our app, there's actually a, a connection card where you can check some boxes. And you can let us know that you've made that decision and that you might need some help. Uh, it says, I, I would like to talk to somebody about becoming a Christian or what it means to join the church or getting baptized or serving in ministry or I just have some questions for the pastors. If you just want to get together over a cup of coffee and a Diet Pepsi or whatever and, and talk about these things because you don't understand them completely, let's, let's get together and talk. Folks, I want you to know that God loves you. He loves you enough to give his son to die on the cross and then be resurrected three days later to prove who he was and have victory over death and the grave and our own sin. And if we put our faith and trust in him, we can receive forgiveness of our sins and freedom from our guilt and our shame. And we can say, yes, I see Jesus on the cross. This is love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible just privilege of knowing you. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. God, help us all to realize that we can't live up to the standard. We can't, we can't measure up. We can't hit the mark by, our, by ourselves and on our own. And so, Father, help us to commit our lives to you and follow through with that by doing what you want, by, by serving you and loving you and being obedient to you. God, we thank you that your grace and your mercy cover an abundance of sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.